Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate podcast. We are in episode number 58. Except today we're going to replace one of the Davids and we have very famous Jonathan Hakoen. You got my name. That's awesome. Uh, thank you very I much. I got your name right after 58 episodes and uh, the close working relationship that our two firms have working together. Well, I have to tell you, first of all, that uh, my father's name was David. And my nephew was named after him after his past in Jewish faith. You have... Uh, Usually the firstborn is named after the father uh, when they pass. And uh, my nephew was born before my my son. So uh, he got the honor of being David. So the name David is very, very dear to me. So I'll be an honorary David for today. But uh, I'm not as tall, smart, or good looking as David Corman, but I will do my best. Well, on behalf of all Davids, we uh, we welcome you. Uh, and we bestow that honorary honor onto you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So Jonathan. Yes, uh, sir. We are we are into the market. We are well into August. Uh, historically, the market has always been a little bit softer in the uh, summertime. People love the outdoors. People love to enjoy the weather. Um, and actually, we have a beautiful day today. Um, so what's the market really doing? What are you guys seeing in terms of transactions closing? What are you guys seeing in terms of uh, volume at the at the uh, at the law office? Um, and, and what is uh, the pulse of the market out there. So what I could be saying from our perspective is looking at what a traditional spring, summer, fall market would look like. And being in August right now, going into September, there's certain psychological dates or milestones that a lot of my traditional buyers, sellers would be following. This year is an exception. So let's say uh, a typical market is a lot of people going like gangbusters in June. June is a very, very, very heavy market. Why? Uh, April, May, the spring is uh, here. The sun is shining. People want to go out. They want to look at open houses. They want to buy. That seems to be the psychology of as soon as the snow melts, it's time to buy. All those closings happen in June. People like to have them in June. Psychological wise, from my uh, deep analysis over 20 years since being called, is people want to be finished and closed before the summer starts. So I want to close my transaction by the end of June. So the whole world schedules their transactions for June 30th. So you have 3,000 closings on June 30th. And now we can bring it in the summer. Then from there, July, August would tend to be, what you say, the softer months, time to travel, trying to kids are in camp. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. But they're still putting offers in because they have another milestone that they need to reach. And that is before the kids start school. Can't explain it. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. But let's close our transaction a second before they're about to start school. Let's have upheaval. Let's get the movers going. But there's a ton of transactions tend to be end of August, right at the beginning of September. And then you go into that fall market where it's not bad. It's kind of middle-ish. And we're gearing up before winter and then before Christmas. So those are those kind of milestones you tend to see. Right now, ever since you know the media came and said doom and gloom, we think that uh, the sky is falling. Everybody beware. All of a sudden, people get very hesitant. We had a very strong market, you know, uh, last winter and then going into the spring. And all of a sudden, you know, it tends to happen to us these years generally. And for whatever reason, government wants to intervene. Media wants to intervene and scare people. And then we get kind of at standstill. So right now, what we are seeing is transactions are still moving. First of all, I want to tell people, don't be afraid. Don't listen to everything you think you hear and see, because we see it in the front lines. People are still buying. They're still selling, but you're not, it has not come to a standstill, but it's definitely not the volume that we would typically see even at this time of year. So percentage wise, I would say a lot of firms could be down 20, 30%, maybe even more depending on, on the firm themselves for lawyers. So definitely things are down. But there is signs of hope in the sense that people are still looking. They're waiting to see what's going to stabilize with the interest rates. They're thinking, is it going to go down? Is it going to stabilize? Once people get a handle on those mortgages, I think you're going to see things rising as we get closer to the winter. I love the way you answer that question. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because uh, I, have an, I, I have a feeling that the volumes in your firms did not go down 20%. 
And the reason uh, I have that feeling is because yes. you guys do an amazing job at business development. You know, you're, you're, you have two podcasts on the go. You have a great brokerage outreach program. That's one of the reasons why, you know, my brokerage has a 30 year relationship with your firm, uh, which has been phenomenal. You know, you guys have helped our agents throughout the years. Uh, we're available after hours, help them write tough clauses. And, and we're there always when we need assistance, which is one of the reasons why our agents win, why our clients win and why it's been such a great relationship. But you replicate that with other brokerages as well. And you work really hard at it. So um, this is one of those ideas. And the reason I want to bring this up, because you know, realtors in this business are no exception, right? Real, when realtors are working hard and they're hustling and they're doing things uh, outside the box and working hard, their, their, their volume has not slowed down. They're busy too. There are deals happening in this market and, and people are looking for opportunities. Right. And I say this to my realtors all the time. You know, right now, investors are the ones that are really transacting the most, probably. Okay. So take your point. Love your point. And I'd love to respond to that because uh, David and I, being David Corman, who uh, I am replacing just for today, don't worry, folks, he will be back. But um, we talk about this in our lawyer meeting and our staff meeting and our manager meeting every week. So we have our different meetings and David always pulls off the numbers and goes through where are we year to year. So here we are going into August, September, October. Here's where our volumes are right now. Here's where they were a year ago, two years ago. I also asked him to pull up the numbers from the end of 2007, beginning of 2008. Very, very significant numbers because that's when the U.S. economy was kind of a standstill. They were in the toilet and here we didn't know what was happening. So we were literally at a halt. So here's what I'm going to tell you, David Gorski, of where we are today, at least for our perspective as a law firm, full transparency. We are down. We are down approximately 30% in the last couple of months going into the next couple of months. Like we can predict it's going to be in seven months from now, but they are significantly down. Talking to other law firms, which is similar, let's say to 07, 08, the firms that are not really transacting, this is not their bread and butter, they're not doing the marketing, they're doing no deals or next to no deals, a lot of them. So the ones that are the dabblers, they're out of the picture. They're the ones that are immediately cutting staff, they're panicking because what are we going to do? Now, David brought up a very interesting point, being David Corman. He said, look, a few years ago, when we were kind of standstill and doing these kind of numbers, you had myself, Jerry, and five clerks. One location, life is very easy. So we're doing X number of deals over that kind of overhead. If you look at Corman's today, where, that, where they were compared to the past, you now have six, seven lawyers, you have 15 clerks, you have over 30 staff, multiple locations. So you're carrying now a bazillion more overhead, but yet you're doing that same kind of numbers on minimal. So you know, creating a system where you can have people responded to immediately, take on high, high volume, creating a client service first atmosphere, that takes a lot of overhead, but you also need the numbers to justify that. And that's where we're looking, you know, when you, as you take on bodies, you have to have the volume for, to justify it. We're carrying more overhead than where we're supposed to be. If a certain clerk is supposed to be doing, let's say 30, 40, 50 deals a month, depending on where they're at, all of a sudden they're doing some of them 10 to 20 deals. That's a problem. So we're seeing it significantly. And I would say the marketing efforts in that sense, and I'll tell this to any business, especially in a down market, when you are in a down market, regardless of what business you're running, First of all, savor the moment. That's one thing a mentor told me. Don't panic immediately because enjoy this time. This is your time to catch up. This is your time to do reports, doing client outreach. Take advantage of it because you may not get it again. Number two, this is the time when you should be going full blast into marketing mode. This is when you need to figure out how can I reach the most amount of people? Where am I at right now? Because if we are typically where we would be in a June or July, let's say, the phone is ringing nonstop. You're getting like 100 emails every three hours. There's no time to do anything but answer those bare communications. You literally can do nothing else. Any work you want to do, you have to do it in off hours. That's how busy a lawyer can get. We don't have that situation here. So yes, it's a little scary. And it gets scarier when there's zero calls or zero emails at a certain point. Like I can tell you, my busy time is between 9 and 11. That's when everybody comes at me nonstop. That's when they're saying, I got to the office. Now I'm going to go bug the lawyer. So everybody comes in me once. When it's 10, 10, 30 in the morning, and I only have 20 emails and they've all been answered, that's a problem. So yes, I am seeing it. Uh, yes, I don't like it, but it, it drives me more to do. That's why I do non-traditional marketing. That's why I do, I'm a non-traditional lawyer. Like how many lawyers, you know, 
plaster themselves flexing on a t-shirt, but that's me, but I embrace who I am. I'm different. And hopefully, you know, people relate to that. So that's where I would tell lawyers out there. And then I'll tell anybody out there, um, you have a challenge. Now you have an opportunity to maybe grow, even do something different than your competitors do. And that's, and that's great. But uh, on that same token, I'm not going to delude myself. It's not the best when you're in this kind of situation, knowing where you should be at, knowing when you're down from the previous year and years before, and not really seeing that hope light of the tunnel, except for you hope it'll change. You hope that immigration, you know, things opening up again, people wanting to purchase again, hopefully they're Canadian citizens or permanent residents, because that's going to be a problem. And otherwise, people in general, population, people age, they're saying, I, I put a down payment, I have the money there, maybe I should buy that property. I shouldn't wait the three years thinking that maybe I should hold to it. The time to buy is now. And that's it. So that's how people have to kind of work themselves. But it's hard when you have external factors trying to scare you. Yeah, and they and they're doing a great job. Like, I mean, the media has been, you know, pumping Terrible. that message um, on virtually every single media channel. Right. So it's it's hard to turn that noise off and to really get a pulse of where the market's heading. And, and that- I want to give you one example, for example, David, like that's a very good point. I've been interviewed enough by media outlets. I want to make it very clear to people that are sitting and watching their even news and reading their newspapers. And this is no, nothing personal against reporters or media, but I, I do enough reporting. I do enough media interviews. I know when you come to interview somebody, let's say I go and interview David Gorski and I'm like, hi, David Gorski. I was referred to you by so-and-so. I heard you're a leading realtor broker and you're revolutionary in everything you're doing. I'd love to talk to you. When I come as a reporter, I already have the story written. I already have which way I'm going. I'm asking David all the leading questions. This story is only going in one direction. I almost don't care what David is going to say. I've already made up my mind. I just need an expert to back me up. If David all of a sudden goes in a different direction, I'll say, "Uh, David, well, what about this? What about that? And then I will take his stuff out of context. But that has already been decided by somebody who's not in the industry, who's been given a mandate by an editor or publisher and says, this is the story I need. This is what's going to sell ad space, scare people, find out why the market's crashing, find out why people can't close on their homes. That is the kind of questions they come to us. David, true or false? A hundred percent. And actually, they don't like if you give an answer that differentiates from where you want to go. And sometimes we'll even go to a different uh, area expert to get the story that they do want. So uh, you are a hundred percent correct in, in how the media kind of, you know, compiles their their story they already have it written they're not searching for the truth they they want to sell a certain viewpoint if people think they're going to turn on tv and read the newspapers for truth that's a scary proposition because again you have to consider who is putting it out there why they're putting it out there who owns the outlet that's actually putting it out there and remember the bottom line they are a business they are there to sell ad space and that's i'm not faulting them for that but that's economics and that's reality. So that's where, again, I would heavily advise to, if you're, if you're a person out there and the, and the person I'm reaching out right now, David, is that single couple or that young professional who is sitting on the fence or like David and David on real estate. I've heard great things about this podcast and I want to learn about real estate and I want to grow. Call the professionals, call the David Gorskis of this world and say, David, give me the straight goods, man. You've been in this industry for 20 plus years. Where are things at? Here's our situation. And can we manage it? Are we better off waiting? Are we better buying? What are we going to buy? You know, talk to the people actually in the trenches that understand this and not, you know, on, on what I would call fluff. And, and, and any professional, I would say to anyone out there, whether it's a lawyer, uh, a real estate agent, a home inspector, a mortgage broker, feel them out. Are they just trying to sell you something and just want you to just buy and leave? Or do they actually care about you? Do they learn your situation, go through it with you, and then from there, you have that feeling, okay, you know what? They're telling me hold off for a couple months. They're not making me buy the first property that I'm thinking. They're steering me in an all sorts of direction. They may even telling me to buy something cheaper. These people care about me. Build those relationships. Trust the professionals in the industry, not that neighbor or that cousin who has nothing to do with real estate whatsoever, but everybody's got an opinion. The part-time realtors are the worst, right? <laughs> well, some are... Well, it's funny. I, I call them the part-time realtors, but the ones who are actually not realtors. Like they may even have their license, but they're not dialed in at all. They put in no effort whatsoever. They don't work at all. They close maybe one deal a year, but they're the experts. But the scarier one are the neighbors and the cousins and the hairdresser 
and everybody that's got an opinion on what someone should do with their life and finances. Like, think about this. Real estate is the most important purchase of your life. It's the biggest thing you're ever going to buy. This is groundbreaking life decision. Why would you go to somebody who has no idea about the industry whatsoever and take them at gospel? Go to the professionals. Think, make a list of all those professionals. If you got to go lawyer, accountant, uh, real estate agent, mortgage broker, your, your, uh, your um, finance person, you know, the person who takes care of, of, your, of your savings and investments, go to these people, ask them the right questions, put together a list, then start to feel better about where you're headed, you know? And that's where I tell people, think of your life as a business plan. And if you're going to run your business, think about the revenues, the money that's coming in, your income. Think about your expenses that's going to go out. And we need to create a business. That business has to be viable. And the greatest asset that business is ever going to own is the real estate. Let's plan it right. Yeah, 100% right, Jonathan. I couldn't agree more with you. It's, you know, it's one of those markets where you can't wing it. You have to have a professional helping you every step of the way from the lawyer to the mortgage agent, to the realtor. And in some situations, our realtors are telling clients, hey, right now isn't the right time to buy. You know, wait a few weeks, wait a month. You know, the, the interest rates are going to keep going up. And, and you, know, maybe, you know, maybe next month is a better time to buy, right? And having that sort of an advisor on your team uh, as, as part of your professional uh, team, you know, that makes the biggest difference. Absolutely. And, you know, that professional may tell you, look, I really want to speak to your mortgage broker first. I want to figure out, do you have the down payment? Do you have the mortgage funds put together? They may come to you and tell you, listen, you're very, very close, but we need to see the money in your bank account a little longer. We need to see you just started a new job. We need you to be there a few more months. You know, whatever it is, your particular situation. But David, where I see the people that, you know, you want to talk about scaring people? I'll scare you the other way. How about that? I can't tell you how many clients I had or potential clients that came to me at the end of 07 and beginning 2008. The U.S. economy is crashing. Canada's at a standstill. Literally nothing is happening. No, but nothing is moving over the last two months. So I'm the smartest person in the world. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold out for another two years because I'm telling you, it will continue to crash worse. We're going to bottom out. I'm going to buy a home like I could have in Vegas for $150,000 and I'll be the smartest person in the world. Well, if you go back and review history, and that was a pretty bad one, guess what happened? It was four months or so, give or take. When that spring hit, we started doing this, and we started riding to the moon. And since uh, spring of 08, what happened? We kind of went like this sometimes, maybe, and then right back up. So all of a sudden, it's 08, it's 09, 2010. You're like, oh, my God, I should have bought in that winter of 2008 when I had the chance. Now this property I could have bought for 300,000 is 600,000 and all that crying. And the same thing when I remember when COVID first hit and people said, same thing as 0708, I'm going to be the smartest person in the world. You're going to see this is going to flatten completely and I'm the smartest person in the world and I'm going to wait that year or two. Let's wait out COVID and everything will get to the bottom. What happened? Everything went to the moon. It made no sense, zero sense. All of a sudden that property you're thinking about for 500,000 is now a million dollars. You know, it's been 500 for the past three years. It's a million dollars. So people panic and they're like, either they jumped in and bought it for that million or they said, okay, you know what? I'm going to wait it out. Now they're saying, see, there's a correction coming. That property that was 1.1, 1.2, I can get it for one. I can get it for 975, but I'll wait it out some more because I think I can get it for 700. So here's what any realtor with the, worth a grain of salt, any economist has told me, Whatever you buy today, it's like stocks, just buy it. Make the decision. You got the down payment. You can get the mortgage. Just buy it. And you're sitting on it. It's going to go up or down. It's fine. Because whatever you go to buy after that, what you bought and what its price is meaningless unless you go to sell it. While you're holding it, the, the value is irrelevant as long as you're going to have a mortgage on it. So let's say you bought something and let's say it went down. But you're going to buy the next thing. Guess what? The next thing is probably more expensive and it probably went down more so you're actually ahead that way. And guess what? If your thing went up, whatever you're going to buy went up. So buy and sell in the same market, but you got to get in. David, those people that keep telling me I'm going to wait and wait and wait, they, they can't pull it off the tracks. And then they always come crying to me later. I should have bought. I should have bought. I should have bought. So it goes both ways, folks. 
Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think uh, if you did jump in dur- during COVID, if you jumped in during you know that downturn in in twenty seventeen in in July, that one month went down about fifteen percent. If you bought in twenty uh, two thousand eight, you won in a big way, right? Um, and the people I, I remember when I first got my real estate license, Jonathan, uh, in two thousand and seven. The first deal that I did was a couple who was selling their stackable townhouse in Toronto. And I remember I sat down with them and asked them, hey, why are you guys selling? And the husband looked at me and he's like, we paid $145,000 for the stackable townhouse. It's worth $185,000. The market's going to crash. We're going to go rent for a few years and then we're going to go buy it back for $145,000. And, you know, it was like my first few months in the real estate industry. I said, sure, if you guys want to sell it, I'll get you top dollar. And I did. I think we uh, we broke the records in the complex and, you know, they they sold and they rented. I never connected with them ever again. It was just, you know, that I just lost touch with that one couple. But I always thought about them and I always thought to myself, I wonder if they're still renting because, of course, that stackable townhouse now probably is worth 900, a million maybe even a little bit more than that it was a pretty nice stackable townhouse in Toronto. But, uh, you know, I always think about what happened to that couple and I hope they're not renting still. Well, here's what I want to tell you when I'm thinking about this. There's always these little short windows. Remember 2020, March to May of 2020, nobody really wants to buy. Everybody's kind of hesitant. All of a sudden there's no offers, inventory sitting to me. I'm the piranha. I smell it in the water. That's when I'm pouncing. That's when I'm getting that guppy, you know? So let's do it. You know, it, I don't know what it is with human psychology. And we have this, you know, manifestation of sheep mentality, but it's in everything. It's in cars, it's watches, it's stocks. It's hot. I have to buy it at any price. I don't care. I must have it. Apple stock just tripled. I'll pay a druple. I'll do whatever it takes cars you can't get it it's a it's a waiting uh, line right now six months yep. i'll pay five thousand premium to get ahead of the line i'll do whatever it takes now all of a sudden i'll come to you six months later nobody wants this car this inventory uh okay i'll walk away now you know <laughs> it's the smart so- the smartest we business follow, people I- we follow the herd jonathan that, that's what human beings do we follow the herd and and you know the people who make the most amount of money and get the furthest ahead go against the grain there's wolves and there's sheep. And the wolves that I know, they're the ones that have liquid money. They wait till times like this when they're saying nobody's putting in offers, stuff is sitting. That's when it's time for us to buy. That's when we can put our inspection conditions, our financing conditions. We can buy it for under asking. There's no multiple bids. Now's the time to buy when nobody else is. This is the same great property that would have fetched a premium of 20, 30% easily in last year's market. It's the same desirable property. People are just nervous. I'm not nervous. I got kahunas. I'm going to go buy this property and I will trailblaze. Why do you have to, you know that you study basic economics. It's always going to shift. There's always going to be demand in real estate. Everybody knows that to make real wealth at the end of the day, you need to buy real estate, acquire real estate. This is the way to go. The wealthiest clients that I know are in their early to mid thirties, already have multiple properties. They're laughing at the world with their passive income. So think about this, wherever you are in life, when you're listening to this, you're thinking about pulling the trigger again, and this is not going to be taken as legal or business advice, please. But in all sincerity, do you know what's going to happen to the future? You know, you have the means now. What happens? It can only take one shift. And all of a sudden, we still have not enough inventory out there. People all of a sudden get that itch to buy. And then guess what? You're, you're out of the market again. So strike when it's, when it, when it's there, I think. Yeah. And, and the interesting part of this conversation, Jonathan, is that there's a lot of area experts that feel the same way you do currently in this market. So I, I think people recognize that there's a short window of opportunity. And that that window of opportunity is not going to be open for forever, right? And when you look at our fundamentals, our fundamentals in our economy haven't changed, right? The only thing that's really changed is the fact that interest rates are going up, right. but we still have record high employment. You know, we, we, 
you know, all the fundamentals are still there. They really haven't changed, right? So, um, and and the bank won't be able to keep interest rates high forever. I mean, life is expensive. People have high debt ratios on on their mortgage. You know, the bank, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what happens, how long we keep these rates high for, what the next uh, interest rate adjustment is going to be. Um, and 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 what the world is going to look like but it's against, I, yeah it's again simple economics if you do the math of it and what you thought you can buy in midtown toronto and you're saying based on these interest rates and my down payment guess what i can't carry this property right now you're either going to downsize that property your expectation or you're going to go a little more into the outskirts but you will find something every young buyer young professional uh that i've ever met that got into the market the, the okay the most popular age bracket of people getting into the markets what would you guess david i'll give you a three-year gap when you think Most is popular the... age bracket of people getting into the market first time buyers what do you think their age group is uh, it's a three-year window that's an interesting question mm-hmm. i would say uh 20 uh 25 to 28 close 27 to 30 okay And this is why, there's a reason why, and again, this is my own analysis, and I've seen it time and time again. There, Remember we talked about milestones and everything? We're talking about summer starts, school starts, people have these milestones. 30 is a very significant age. People panic at 29. A lot of people I've met and have said, I need to get an own property before I'm 30. I need to feel like I've achieved something. I've been working professionally now. I've graduated university. I've been in the workforce for four years, five years, six years. I need to show the world I own property. And I see a lot of young couples buying today. We're going to talk about what's interesting and what the market looks like. It's not the traditional what you would think. It's not they didn't go walk down the altar at 22 and have five kids by the time they're 30. There's these two young professionals. They're living together. They have a cohabitation agreement. It is basically like almost a business transaction. Can you accept two certified checks on closing? Because this deposit is coming from his account. This one's coming from my account. And they're sitting in the appointment. So you're going to pay the utility bill. I'll pay the mortgage bill. You're going to pay the roof. And they all, and they have like this spreadsheet. This is today's day and age. Today's couples are way more sophisticated than they were 50 years ago, 100 years ago. They're running their enterprise like a business. You could say that's very unromantic, but that's how it gets done. And they're doing it. So that is that is the group. And again, they would look at when, when you, you I've, I've seen... Uh, two sisters, I've seen two brothers, I've seen cousins, people forming two friends, lifelong friends, and they're saying, I can't afford to buy the property I want. It's not the property of my dreams. I'm going to go into my friend, we make a joint venture agreement together. And we're going to go at this and we're running this thing like a business. And that's how we're going to afford this thing versus us not being able to at all. You know, I, I've seen people that yeah. want it's the proper way of approaching the situation. You know, we uh... amazing. You know, I'm involved in another company called InAgent, where we teach realtors how to do more business by teaching them how to work more seamlessly with investors. And joint ventures are a huge part of the curriculum, right? Because when a single person taps out, no longer can afford to buy more uh, more investment properties, you got to do it through different means. You got to look at different types of financing. And joint ventures are a huge part of the equations of how to get deals done. We also teach front-end staff. So we found out that uh, approximately 90% of staff that work at the front-end of brokerages um, don't own real estate, right? So we we also have another course that we teach, and we get them excited about the possibility of property uh, ownership through joint venture agreements. Um, it, it's very interesting, but it works, right? And it's a great way to get into the market. And a lot of the times, what we preach is, you know, don't buy that first property uh, for yourself. Get in, you know, put your investor hat on, buy an investment property first with a group of people, pull your resources. And then as you build equity and the property uh, rises in value, then you have options. But that's just the reality of the market that we're in. David Gorski, I am stunned because I know you as a leading broker at Sudden Summit one of the greatest shops on the planet as far as the greatest team of realtors I've ever seen. But you are in another enterprise altogether. In agent, you said it was? In agent. When did you begin this enterprise in agent? And how does one investor get involved with it? 
Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. So um, Gord Lemon is the other co-founder of the company, and uh, he was one of my clients. I was showing him properties in, in Oakville at the beginning of my career. I still remember showed him a semi-detached that was $195,000 in Oakville. He walked away. He did not buy it because it had some water issues in the basement. I think he regrets that to this day. Uh, but we kept in touch, and I saw his name on the uh, Sutton uh, corporate event about a year ago, and we connected. And uh, he told me about this new program that he put together to help realtors do more deals, to teach realtors how to actually work with investors. And, you know, working with investors and doing it properly uh, is not easy because you got to learn a whole new language. You got to learn how to analyze properties. You, it's a whole new different skill sets that realtors are learning that they're just not taught in school. And before, previous to this course uh, coming along, the only way a realtor really learned that you know, th that integral is if they had their own investment properties, they learned by trial and error. So now we have a formal education that leads to a designation for realtors. And it's, uh, it, it's been going amazing. We partnered, uh, we ran the training at my brokerage, and now um, we're doing some really big things. In fact, we had a meeting with the Toronto uh, Regional Real Estate Board yesterday. We met with their innovation committee and we pitched them the idea to, uh, you know, to to partner with us and and to educate their members and to bring this to uh, to to all the realtors, our TREB members. So we're doing some really big things, and uh, uh, yeah, it's it's super exciting. So David, any brokerage, any realtor can get involved with an agent and learn about how to assist their clients with investments and open up a whole new pool of potential clients for them. Sounds great to me. That's exactly it, Jonathan. And not only that, but we're finding that about 25% of the realtors that take the course become investors themselves for the first time, which is huge. As a broker owner, you know, that uh, is probably one of the statistics I'm the most proud of. I'll share a quick story. Um, about four years ago, I had one of my uh, top agents uh, come into the office uh, 86-year-old at the time when he came to the, to the office, sat down with me and uh, started telling me about a new listing that he has. So, of course, I put my broker owner hat on. I leaned forward and I congratulated him. And he had this puzzled look on his face. He's like, uh, no, David, I don't think you understand. Uh, I don't want to be trading in real estate. I'm here because I have to be, because I have no money in my account and I need to take this listing. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And from that point forward, I, I said to myself, you know what, as a broker owner, I have the responsibility to have the tough conversations with my realtors and teach them about, you know, what their life will look like when the, it's time for them ready. Uh, it's time for them to retire. It's time for them to stop selling real estate. You know, what's their exit strategy? At what year do they want to stop selling real estate? You know, are they you know, either are they prepared for their retirement, right? And ever since we started doing that at the brokerage, a couple of things happened. Number one, my recruiting uh, rates went through the roof because now I'm able to recruit the right realtor by having these type of conversations. And realtors love the fact that the brokerage cares enough about their well financial well-being that we're engaging them on this level, right? Now, the second thing that happened is the buzz that was created at the brokerage and the retention that we experienced since we were in this training. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Agents are actually feeling like the brokerage made a huge investment into their success and is helping them win every step of the way. When I'm hearing this, you know, it, 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 I love it because um, on my podcast, The Chosen Life, I bring on a lot of entrepreneurs and visionaries, leaders, and love to hear their stories. And I'm thinking in my mind, when you're talking, David, I'm tracing back to my mind the first time you and I had ever met, you know, and I recall that first conversation and the conversations we had from there. You know, I always think about people that touch my life or how I got associated. And when you talk, I always I encourage the listeners to say to themselves, who do I know that's like David or Jonathan or David Corman? And how did they touch my lives and who do I look to? And this is what I'm going to tell people, you know, David is very, very humble uh, about about his life's situation being. But, you know, I think it's quite inspiring because, David, when I knew you and we met about eight years ago when I first joined Corman's, you know, I'm a junior partner just coming up the ranks. Nobody knows me, you know, and 
uh, getting to know you and, and, and you're a realtor and sales. And the truth of the matter is that person there was very successful. That person did very well for themselves. You portrayed a very professional image. You know, when we're talking, we, we, we bonded over watches and tennis. You know, it's funny. I tell my lawyers all the time, you are not in the law business. You're not here to be a lawyer. You're here in the relationship business. You need to build relationships with everybody. And if you don't understand relationship building, then you are in the wrong profession. You need to go do something else. Like people don't get that part. David is in relationships. Me and him instantly bonded. Uh, I didn't need anything from him. He didn't need anything from me. We just met at different events. Regardless of any transactions we do together, we just liked each other, liked hanging out and speaking. And I thought to myself, this is a great guy. You know what? I love his personality, his energy. And I've been watching his progression. All of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, taking over Sudden Summit and, you know, going from being part of the team to being the leader of the team, forming his management uh, part with Sabia, Ali. And, you know, all of a sudden I see... I start to see his vision, but I don't know it because he already had this plan. Guaranteed he had that end goal and he had these steps and he's progressing, progressing. And he's like, that's not enough. Never mind that I could have just been a realtor and good. And now all of a sudden I'm running this, you know, great brokerage and this amazing team cutting edge. I'm going to do an agent too. And I'm going to just branch out. And it's like, no matter how, anybody doing one of your jobs, David could be stressed and blown out and overburdened. And you're like, okay, as soon as I reach my capacity, let's take on more. And this is outside of real estate. This is just in life. And, and you're very humble and not, you know, talking much about it, but I wanted to put it out there because I always marveled and wanted to hear, you know, your story. How did you come to be, you know, you're, you're brought up an agent now, but how do you, and, and you're such a busy life as a professional with so much going on, you know, you have other uh, investments and other things, I'm sure, on the go. But how do you take on more and more, form new companies, new inspirations? Where do you find the energy? Like, what inspires you to go to the greatness of the life you're building? That's a great question. It's a question I've asked, you know, some of my mentors as well. Because um, there's always people out there in the world that, you know, really marvel you. And, and they have so much. And they're so successful. And you know, they, they keep pushing for more. Um, and the first thing I can tell you, Jonathan, it's not about the money, right? The money to me, um, you know, I've always worked hard in my life. I've always, you know, had money and, and, and money is always a byproduct of working hard, but it's not about the money for me. It, it's, it's a much higher calling, right? Um, I had the opportunity and privilege to be mentored by one of the top agents in the GTA when I first got my real estate license. Um, he lost his driver license. So literally from day one, when I got my real estate license, I became his personal driver. And for the first nine months, you know, I was with him 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And I just absorbed. I learned. You know, the guy owns 47 apartment buildings in downtown Toronto. He ran a small brokerage. So he was, you know, a landlord, a broker owner, and an extremely successful realtor. Um, and, and I was just there for all of it. And I just absorbed. So the one thing I learned very quickly is that, you know, I'm all about relationships and I'm all about quality. He was a little bit more about quantity and I didn't like that. So I wanted to join um, a much more professional brand and, and learn the quality side of real estate. So then I left that small brokerage and I went to Remax, right? Remax uh, in Oakville, um, it was a great experience. Um, I wanted to try something a little bit more boutique and, and I really liked the whole Canadian aspect. So that's when I moved over to, uh, to Sutton. And when the opportunity presented itself for me to get into more of a leadership uh, position at Sutton, um, I really savored that. And I wanted to try it be and because I wanted to give back to the realtors what was given to me at the beginning of my career, right? And in-agent was very much the same thing. You know, I'm an investor at heart. I have always have been. I always love real estate from an investment point of view. I always looked at real estate from an investment point of view. And I think in our industry, we have a huge problem, you know, especially with realtors not having enough investment properties, not winning for themselves. You know, and, and I thought that by getting involved with an agent, I can help, you know, really solve these issues and help the realtors win more. Uh, not only for their clients, but with more for themselves, right? And an in-agent really embodies and takes on um, the whole aspect of how do you build a proper business, 
where everybody around you is a potential client. Like Jonathan, if I said to you, if I can show you a property that's cash flow positive and that is a great investment property, would you pull the trigger tomorrow? I'd listen, certainly. Right? Yeah. And that's the whole point. And I mean, you yeah. can, as a realtor, you can learn to engage with, with everybody around you. You're no longer, you know, if you're asked, hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a realtor. Oh, great. How's the market? Right? Now, if somebody asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? Well, on average, I help people retire five to 10 years earlier. You do what? What do you do for a living? Oh, I help people quit their nine to five. What? Hey, what do you do for a living? Well, on average, I help people go on three more vacations a year. How do you do that? Right? But all of a sudden, you're engaging them in a completely different level. And, and realtors need to learn this. I like those points. I like those points you make. And I, and I can tell you as a lawyer... Uh, I can't name names, obviously, uh, you know, for confidentiality reasons, but people will be shocked how many realtors are investing in their own properties, certainly. And if you think about it, if you're a realtor that rents, doesn't even own a property, or you maybe have your one property, but you've never gone to investments whatsoever, you don't know the ins and outs, you've never had a tenant personally, how do you really, really explain to somebody and mentor them on it when you're not in the trenches yourself? When okay. I can certainly say, if I, if I was an investor and I'm working with my realtor, my realtor is like, listen, I own five doors and uh, this is how I've been doing it. And I, I know the ins and outs and I've made a lot of mistakes and I put a lot of systems into place. I'm listening to that person, certainly. So uh, again, whether you're a realtor, a plumber, a dentist, whatever your profession is, I tell people the reality is your money that you're earning as an income in your job, that's really what you call seed money. And what you decide to do with the seeds, that's the forest you're going to build. Because whatever you do from a job generally, unless you're literally the CEO of World Bank and get a $50 million bonus, it's not going to happen. You're just going to live your life and you're going to have an income. You're going to have a pension and that'll be it. But if you can plant seeds in the forest and they can bloom by themselves and create for you passive income, that's, that's your forest. That's your seeds. And a lot of people, you would be shocked how many it's in real estate. All the wealthiest clients I have, all the best to do, the happiest, stress-free people, have the most responsibility and should be the most stressed, but it's because they know they own real estate and they feel good about it. And that's really the winning formula. When you take business income that you actively earn and then you put it into real estate and then you live off, you know, the cash flow and, um, and, and, and the excess money you get from that investment. And that's play money. You can spend that because you know next month it's getting replicated. It's getting replicated. And it's not getting replicated with your direct time involvement. I've had clients, I came to them and I said, what do you do for a living? I collect rent checks. That's what I do. I collect checks. And then I go back to my hobbies and do what I need to do. That's it. That sounds like a pretty good life to me. So I, I also got to ask you, David, because uh, from a personality standpoint, knowing you for as long as I've known you, you know, you, you've always had that like shining light. Like you walk into a room, people know David Gorski's there. Like you just attract people, people like you, people want to talk to you. Were you born a leader? Is that something that came natural to you from day one? Or is it something that you grew into? You, you know, it's it's funny we had this, we had, we're having this conversation because I'm actually, uh, I'm actually an introvert. For me, no. I swear to God, I am. I, I, I'm not comfortable in groups. It, it takes a lot of work for me to come across as an extrovert and, and to be an extrovert. It's, it's not something that comes easy. It's something that I have to work on every single day, but it is possible. Um, I'm living proof of it. Um, I, I like to be, you know, alone by myself a lot of the times, but, uh, you know, it's it's something that it's a skill set that, you know, it comes naturally to a lot of people to and to some people it doesn't. But it's something that you can learn um, if you want to. Well, I'm going to share a little, little secret on the air now. And I get laughed at this when I say it, but I consider myself shy. And when I was young in my. Oh, how, how, how are you shy? Come on, you're uh, you're 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 everything opposite from shy. I didn't say two words growing up in grade school. In high school, I was very quiet. I listened a lot. I didn't have very high self-confidence. I didn't think very much of myself. Had enough bullies or negative people that put me down and made me feel very bad about myself. And I took that in and I ingrained it. And it was very, very scary. And then that same kid in university goes and gets a job at The Gap. 
And then I work at Yorkdale. Let's say for those people who are in international outside of Canada, Ontario, Yorkdale Mall is like the busiest mall in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's probably the biggest, one of the busier ones in Canada in general, maybe Edmonton Mall. But I'm working at the busiest mall pretty much in one of the busiest stores at the time. And I'm the greeter half the time. And I literally want to shit myself. Like I literally do not want to be there. I can't utter two words. And I had no choice. And it's something that I actively had to work on. And I progressed from that barely can say two words to the greeter. And within a year, I was an assistant manager. So I can tell you, I, 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 I can't speak for you. I can speak for me in saying that I wasn't born into leadership at all. I was always listening. I never said anything. I listened half my life. And then I put together my ideas and my thoughts. And I strategically said them when I had to. But uh, mine was more lead by example at the beginning and it more turned to active listening. And that's one of the things I would say for any leader or any position, no matter what your profession is, learn to listen. If you ever want to succeed in life, learn to listen and listen to the right people. Find like David, you're talking about mentors and people that helped you grow. People don't have enough mentors out there. And the ones that they do, what are their qualifications? And why would you get mentored by somebody who's not succeeding at what you hope to succeed in? Find somebody who's done something really good at what you want to do and listen to them. A hundred percent. I was uh, at a friend's cottage um, on the weekend and we were, uh, I was talking to one of the guys there and uh, he was saying that, uh, you know, his realtor said this and this to him. And my first question to him was how many investment properties does that realtor own? And he stopped and he thought about it and he said, none. And I said to him, well, why are you taking any advice from somebody who's in a worse spot off than you are? Because you own four investment properties. That's amazing. You know, he's 42 years old, owns four investment properties. His house is paid off. And I said, why are you taking investment strategies from somebody who owns less investment properties than you? That doesn't make any sense for me. I, I said to him, look, I want you. He's in a different market. He lives in Bradford. Otherwise, you know, I'd be uh, I'd be introducing him to uh, one of my realtors. But, you know, I said to him, go and interview some realtors and find a realtor that owns 15 doors or 10 doors. Right. More than you own, and go take advice from him. Because that's going to be a great person to lean on. But somebody who owns less properties than you do, and he's giving you real estate advice, it just doesn't sit well with me. When I was starting to get into podcasting after producing with you guys, David and David, and starting my podcast, The Chosen Life, one of the first people I reached out to is a guy who's been podcasting for five years. He's in the thousands of episodes. He gets top level guests and renowned experts from all over the world. He does a health and wellness one. Uh, but on the same token, you know, I remember him when he was a doctor in Toronto, moves to Windsor, and then gets married to a, a health and wellness uh, lady. Uh, she was like teaching people how to cook healthy. And that's one of the first people I reached out to because I said, here's a mentor, somebody who's done it, built it from scratch, built an audience base, gets the greatest guests in the world. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I just reached out. I said, hey, you know, uh, I know we've connected before a little bit. Can I bug you? Can I ask you a couple of questions? And you know what? He was so thrilled to just lend an ear. And, 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 and you'd be shocked. Even if I had not connected with this person, I believe he would have done it the same way. And again, whether you're a lawyer, an accountant, a realtor, you find somebody you're following on social media, LinkedIn, and you say, I really enjoyed your work. I've noticed your credentials. Could I, could I get five minutes of your time? You know how thrilled most of those professionals are to help the next generation? Do that. Reach out to somebody you believe in and as reach the promised land, so to speak, and help you get there. That's the best way to start. Yeah. And build a relationship with that person, right? Slowly but surely build a relationship with that person and um and give back, you know, be selfless and, and good things are gonna happen. Absolutely. So now turning into that token with the relationships we have. And the people we're working with, we were talking off air as far as what's going on currently in August of 2022 in the real estate market. Uh, I guess a good segue now, David, what kind of transactions are, are you seeing from the brokerage end, from the agent end? Uh, people are, there is still volume and transactions happening in this time. It has not stopped. But what kind of, of transactions are you guys working on mostly? Well, we're we're seeing the rental market completely explode. We're seeing tons of rentals, tons of leases come to the office, right? Mm -hmm. And then the most amount of transactions we're seeing is under the million dollar mark, right? So people are transacting 
uh, under a million dollars. And then once you get over a million dollars, the transactions, you know, are, are really scarce. Um, we're seeing volume, our volume is down about 25% uh, as, to, as to what it was last year at the same time. But we're still seeing a lot of opportunities out there. You know, we're seeing a lot of opportunities out there and realtors are making amazing money. The ones that are hustling, the ones that are going out there and the ones that are having tough conversations and really setting expectations, right? So the, the positive transactions that we're seeing are the ones where the sellers are having those tough conversations with the listing agent and, and, and they're taking a little bit less on their expectations, right? And prices have really gone down to uh, 2021 levels, right? At the beginning of 2021 mm -hmm. levels. So we've, we've kind of moved backwards um, from, from the highs of 2022. We've moved back to like the beginning of 2021 um, and 2020 in, in some cases. But as long as sellers are having those tough conversations with, with their agents and they're letting go of some of those highs, you know, we're seeing good things happen. I would say that million dollar mark is that sweet spot as far as where people are at. And that's the measuring stick. I agree with you. And those properties that at some point were 400, 500, and then they broke a million. Then they were at 1.2, 1.3. Now you're picking those up near the million mark, maybe under the million mark. And that's a good place to be for people psychological wise. You know, for those people who are expecting to go back to seven years ago levels of Half a million, probably not happening. You know, are they going to go down to seven, eight hundred? Maybe. You know, but again, it's knowing your mortgage, knowing your down payment, knowing your interest rate. Maybe you want to lock in the interest rate now because guess what? Maybe it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars cheaper, but maybe you're going to be paying a lot more in interest. Maybe that won't work for you. Also, for those sellers that have already bought a property, don't want to carry the two properties. We're counting on getting top dollar for the sale. Maybe they have to be realistic because they don't want to default. So people are having those hard conversations. Well, I've seen a couple of those, David, and uh, buying and selling the same market, but you bought and you held off on the sale. You're like, I'm smart. I'm going to wait a couple months till it's really peak season. You should have sold it two months ago. That ship has gone and sailed. But good properties in good areas, priced right, are still going to sell. They're still going on. Uh, people are still working. Oh, no. And the other thing we didn't talk about is that whole work from home and hybrid models. There are a lot of people that move to the outskirts of major centers. Some people are moving back. They're realizing I'm going to have to work in the office full time. Some people are very happy to move to the outskirts. I'm going to live on a waterfront property. I'm going to live here. I'm going to live there. And I can do this remotely. So we're still seeing all that kind of stuff. It's a question of those people that bought not an investment property. I have to make this very clear. Not an investment property, but a second property in another area. And they're carrying two properties as their residences. They're going to get a slap in the face potentially when they realize, here's the gas I'm spending. Here's the mortgages I'm carrying. Here's the property tax, the repairs. And that's not going to be for everybody. People are traveling again. So I think we'll see a correction in that way. But the, those properties will still go for the people who are good with carrying two properties or for those people that literally want to buy, and I don't want to live in a condo anymore. I'm going to go live in a cabin in the woods. And for some, for some of those people, like five years ago, that was not an option. Now with work from home, they can live anywhere as far as we care. Yeah, I mean, secondary properties, cottage properties have, have enjoyed tremendous gains over COVID. And I think the trend there is that uh, Canadians realize you know how integral those properties are to their well-being to their family life to to their personal enjoyments and you know i i think that's a trend that's going to be hard to reverse right because once you get uh once you experience cottage life you know you you find that it's it's pretty extraordinary like i'm at the cottage today and uh i'm looking at the most phenomenal water view the the lake is crystal clear and I can't wait to get it out on the boat and go uh, go, uh, go explore as soon as we're uh, done this podcast, right? And I think a lot of Canadians are experiencing that. And I think that is going to be really hard to let go of and, and go back to, you know, the old uh, ways of going to the office and, 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 and not having, uh, you know, not being surrounded by this. Now, so certain employers are going to mandate the return to the office and it's, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's it's their right and it's happening and you know there's there's a huge standoff there and we're gonna have to you know see where that ends but that's certainly gonna have an impact on real estate prices but i think 
that trend of people really falling in love with cottage properties is here to stay. And I think it's only going to intensify as time goes on because of, you know, how many gorgeous cottage properties we have and, and how truly connected people are or have become during COVID with their cottage properties. And there's only so many amount of properties that are on the water, good accessible water that are close to the city. So the closer you are to the city and you have a waterfront property, you have something that's a premium because there's only a certain amount of supply of it. And how many families hold on to it for generations? They never come on the market. So you're right. Like, you know, uh, anytime a client's asked me about a cottage property, tell them very clearly, okay, you don't buy that one. I don't know when the next one like that's going to come up. It could be tomorrow. It'd be five of them. There may not be any for five years, depending on which lake or river you're looking at. Like cottages are a whole different ball game. And that's where it's, that's really good. Like anything else to assess your, the supply learn your market, learn your needs and do your research, you know, come in with a game plan. And listen, I can't stress how important it is to have a local realtor that really knows the lake, knows the area. Like I, I you know, my parents have a cottage in, in Port Perry and, and literally, you know, between each cottage, the waterfront changes. It's different. No, sandy yeah. bottom weeds, not weeds, right? And and you want to make sure that you're just very well educated. You have the right realtor that will help you through that decision, um, because there's so many different factors at play. Amazing, yeah, no, absolutely agree. Well, with I feel like we've you know changed the world today, David, and we've uh, covered so many areas. People got to learn you and your leadership style, and what's going on with an agent and sudden, and we learned about the real estate market and. Hopefully we've inspired people today to really step back and think what they predetermined decision of where things are at in life. And maybe they can reassess that, speak to other professionals and make better business decisions for themselves when it comes to real estate. No, I agree. And I, I think the biggest uh, takeaways from, from today's podcast is you know, when things slow down, um, do one of two things. Number one, make sure you up your marketing budget, make sure you're hustling, make sure you're going out there and doing business development, Right. And the second thing is investing yourself, you know, figure out what you can do, what courses you can take, what designations you can take, uh, you know, look at the in-agent designation. I guarantee you, uh, you're going to, you're going to love the uh, pro course program. And, and if anything, it's going to inspire you to become an investor uh, and, and, and think differently about your business, but go out there and, and look for different designation or different education programs. You have a little bit more time. As a professional, you need to invest in yourself. It's fun to step out of your day-to-day -day and what you think your role is, bring something new to life, a new living, breathing creature, an entity being an agent in your case. And it's nice to help shape people and change the world. And you're doing that through, through, the, through that organization. So David, commend you on that. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And you know, if you love what you do, then you haven't really worked a day in my in your life. And I really live by that model. I, I, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy helping others succeed and win. And, um, you know, that's probably why I love being in the in the leadership role that I am. Love it. And I hope I did not, uh, you know, uh, embarrass the seat too bad, because I know David Corman sets the bar very high. So I know the fans will be clamoring to have him back. So did what I could. He sets, you know, it's, it's a shadow cast, but uh, David Corman, you are missed. And uh, I'm sure David will be very happy to have you back. And, uh, you know, uh, anytime you guys need me, want me, I'm here for you and, and the listeners and uh, spreading real estate love and knowledge. Amazing. I just got an email in. Um, and I know, did you have Tim Hudak in your podcast? Uh, as it will happen, uh, sneak preview, I'm taping Tim this afternoon. Oh, in amazing. studio. So I, I just got an email in my inbox as we were recording that Tim wants to come on the David and David podcast as well. So we're going to have him on both podcasts, looks like. Amazing. Amazing. Can never get enough Tim Hudak. Great yeah, guy. No, a, you know what? He's done a lot for our industry in terms Absolutely. of lobbying and in terms of really raising the bar and, and setting the standards really hard, high. And, and we're very lucky to have him part of our industry, you know, personal real estate corporations and um, even uh, even multiple representations, how he lobbied, how he fought for for buyer and seller choice. I mean, those are all very, very important uh, to our industry. And uh, uh, very few realtors actually know what Tim Hudak has done for our industry. But if you follow him um, and if you listen to him speak, he's done a lot. So uh, 
I can't wait to hear him on your episode. And, uh, you know, we're certainly going to ask him to peel back some layers and go into uh, some in-depth conversations about uh, some uh, certain things on our podcast as well. So stay tuned and and lots of really good things coming. It's going to be very complimentary because, you know, from my, when I do The Chosen Life uh, as a podcast, it's going to be learning about Tim, his background, the man he is how I met Tim, which is going to be a hilarious story. I'm not going to ruin it right now, but you you don't even know where I met Tim originally and how we became friends. But uh, getting to know his background as a person, talking about his political career more and just, you know, understanding the person behind the name. I have a lot of questions from that way. And then for him to come on David and David, talk about his work more in Aria and real estate, you know, fascinating guy, wearing many different hats. One of the best speakers I've ever seen, real gentleman, you know, if that guy was Prime Minister of Canada tomorrow, I would set sales with him. No problem. He looks the part. He acts the part. You know, just a, a real gentleman and uh, very much looking forward to meeting him today. So uh, stay tuned. And we're going to have fun with Tim Hudak on both episodes, both uh, shows, turns out. Amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. Have fun recording that. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to listen to it. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Great conversation as always. Um, stay tuned for, for next uh, episodes and thank you very much for filling in for David. Thank you for having me and, uh, keep living the chosen life and thank you, David and David for spreading the real estate love. All right. Take care. Cheers.